to the beyondthebaselines.com podcast, coming to you from Vero Beach, Florida, and Marion, Massachusetts. Hosted by Ed Chenefy, this is the podcast that researches and investigates the club management and facility side of our business. Hello, and welcome to the beyondthebaselines.com podcast. I'm Ed Chenefy, I'm your host, and it's an honor, privilege, and pleasure to bring you the news and views from the tennis, fitness, and country club industries right here on the podcast. This week, Doug Cash joins us. Doug is one of the leading business figures in the tennis and club industry. And as owner and operator and manager of several clubs across the country, he has his fingers on the pulse of the industry, both inside and outside of it. And he's seeing such changes as we come out of the COVID era slowly but surely. Doug bemoans why there are two industry organizations, the USBTA and the PTR, and why that might be affecting the advancement of the tennis teaching profession and the compensation packages surrounding tennis departments and their employees. Doug has raised dues and initiations across all his clubs this year, and he's seeing additional play and additional usage. And what he too is seeing is an incredible movement toward live ball programming, as we've been writing and discussing all winter. He's even seeing clubs in the Northeast saying that you can't book a court without booking a pro with the court. The pro can be your ringmaster for the hour or the hour and a half, or fill in if someone doesn't show up. But you can't have a court without a pro. I have to apologize for some of the breaks in this commentary. Doug was on Hilton Head, and I was on the Barrier Island in Florida, and the Wi-Fi between us just let us down a few times. But we got through it. And now, straight from his Hilton Head headquarters, is the owner of Cashflow Tennis. Here's Doug. Doug, welcome to the line. Thanks for joining the podcast. Well, thanks, Ed. Uh, it's a great time to be in the tennis industry. It's booming, and so let's go for it. Yeah, I, I, it's great to have you on. I, I, I was trying to remember when we first met. I think it was three, four years ago at the PGA PIA conference, and you were uh, a host, panelist, but you're a wonderful host, wonderful, knowledgeable uh, person in our industry. What What are you seeing there in Hilton Head right now? What's it looking like? Well, uh, certainly, uh, from what I've been told, is that this will be the most uh, visited Easter week they've ever had. And it seems like people are trying to get away from home. They haven't been able to do that in a while. Things have uh, lightened up a bit from the COVID standpoint. And people are ready to travel, ready to play tennis. And uh, so the, the courts are full. The golf courses are full. The beaches have lots of people on it. And uh, uh, there's probably not quite as many masks as I would like, but that's uh, what it is. I've, <laughs> I've had both my shots, so I, hopefully I'm okay. And uh, uh, we're down here. My family's coming in uh, tomorrow. My wife got here yesterday. And uh, Great. down here for a couple of weeks. Watching the tennis down there, I mean, Hilton Head is a special place for tennis, you know, uh, PTR's base there. But let me ask you a question about cash flow tennis, your, your business. Why cash flow tennis? What, what, what inspired you to start that business? Well, I retired from running Midtown Clubs about 16 years ago. And I was teaching tennis at a, one of the clubs that I used to run up in Chicago with one of my kids. He was working there also. And I started getting calls from started with John McCarthy, who was the uh, founder or president of Ursa, uh, saying these people wanted some uh, help running tennis clubs. And uh, at the time, I was the only one in the country who didn't have a job that probably knew how to run tennis clubs. And so 
uh, <laughs> they talked they talked me into trying to help a couple owners and they went from one owner to two owners to 10 owners to 20 owners and uh, it just continued and then I've got into the trying to grow the game with the USDA type thing. And then I got into trying to educate club owners for the Tom conference, which we invited you down to, to speak at. Right. And, um, uh, it, the rest is about history. It just keeps going. I love what I do. I, it's good to help people. Uh, and right now, a lot of clubs need some help. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of clubs are going through a demographic change. Uh, have you noticed that? I, I, you know, the, the millennials are starting to become the club presidents, club committee members compared to, you know, generation X members. And have you seen that change in the industry? Well, I certainly see it from an owner standpoint. What I've seen is that the membership model is not necessarily what it used to be. And I don't know if anybody's come up with the perfect plan yet. Cause I haven't seen anybody scrap the entire membership model and start something new. But uh, that will be the next 10 years to trying to figure out what the membership model should really look like in the clubs with the changing, changing demographics. What do, what do you mean by the membership model? You mean uh, initiation fees, dues, uh, junior memberships versus senior memberships? What, 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 describe uh, that a little bit. Well, they're not as likely to commit long term to things as the my generation probably would have. And so therefore... To say, all right, you need a commitment of a year or two years, or you got to pay a ten thousand dollar initiation fee. Uh, some of those things aren't going over as well as they used to because it's a different generation. So people are trying different things around the country to figure out how to get around that with more participation model, which obviously raises individual pricing greatly of things because you don't get the membership dues. So nobody's come down with a way to do it that has, boy, this is the perfect new way to do it. But people are trying to do it all over the country to try to figure out. And fitness is certainly the, the boutique um, shops and stores and studios have tried where you, know, you go on an app and you can, you can go to 20 different clubs and it's all prepaid rather than the dues model. Tennis hasn't quite figured that out yet. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's interesting. We, we as the tennis industry, I think we're, we're looking at other industries, you know, golf being one, fitness being the other. And, and there's two things that I, come, I, I think about that you just said that are, are fantastically relevant right now is that individual usage is, in terms of payments is going up. And I'm seeing that across the board, like hourly clinic rates. They're going up because, as you say, dues are either stagnating or disappearing to a, to a large intents and purposes. So, you know, your individual usage is going to be charged more as a member. Yes. And, and let's talk pricing just a minute. And um, yep. the few times I've gone out to dinner in the last year, uh, I've left percentage wise much greater tips than I ever had before 40, 50% because I'm mm -hmm. very thankful for the restaurant to be open. And number two, mm -hmm. I, want, I know that the waiter is probably serving fewer people, fewer tables and get less tips. And I want to make right. sure they're there. So one of the things that I did at most of the clubs I work with is we raised almost all our fees more than normal this January. And what we have found is we haven't heard a peep and we've actually been thanked for raising dues, which is the first time in my life I've ever been thanked for raising dues and fees because they want to make sure their local club where they belong makes it. And mm -hmm. if it goes away, okay. like, like 40% of the fitness boutique clubs in the United States has gone away. If right. they go away, they lose a lot of part of their life because mostly clubs are the third place in your life 
that you use the most other than home and work. And therefore they want their club around and they're willing to pay more money for that right now because uh, it's the sanctuary to get away from the rest of the world and you can't really go on vacation quite yet. And so you've raised both, uh, you've raised dues, but you've also raised uh, like usage, like, you know, personal, yes. uh, uh, personal private lessons. Yes. Yes. We raised everything more than I've ever raised before. I've always had a, if you raise something more than 10%, you get, you get some pushback. Right. And so I usually raise things somewhere between three and 4% every year. This year we went over the yeah. 10% mark, all kinds of places and, and not a peak. It's interesting that you find that, you know, you can raise things under 10%, but this year you can go higher than 10%. Let's talk about like, uh, initiation fees because clubs right now, as we're seeing across the industry, are really a popular place, as you call them sanctuaries right now because people can't go away. So initiation fees are being adjusted because there tends to be a lot more applications this year. There's tending to be a lot more applications this year. So are, did you raise initiation fees or because of the, the waitlist possibilities? Um did at certain places, for instance, I have closed membership at two clubs and I haven't closed a membership at a club in 10 years. And obviously, as you know, what closing the membership means is that you won't take any more members unless someone drops out. So you're at your right. membership capacity. And right. it's now April 1st and we closed membership for the summer, March 30, about March 30th, a couple of days ago at a club that's never closed memberships before ever. <laughs> right. And so, and it's not even summer yet. So I was amazed at that. Um, and this particular club, you know, uh, I'll give you a number. It doesn't make a difference. Where it took yep. in $160,000 of dues in the month of March because people were prepaying for the summer and they've never even come close to that number again. Uh, so incredible. It, it is incredible. Uh, and and uh, a club in Raleigh, North Carolina, uh, I've also closed the membership. And again, it's just unusual. People are swarming the clubs. Our beginners programs are out of sight with the number of people trying to get into them. And uh, uh, the biggest holdback is how, many big, how big we can get the groups because of COVID. Uh, and, uh, but it, it's a remarkable time right now. Yes, it is. And in... And, and- and going back to your point about the beginners, are you seeing that most of the new play usage and possibly membership are people new to the tennis game, new no, to the game? I, I bet it's about 50-50 with the other 50% being people that used to play. Whatever sport they were doing instead of tennis, they couldn't do anymore. And they got back into tennis. They got hooked on tennis. I mean, I go by public parks now that actually have a waiting list to play if you recall, at least at my age, we used to put a racket, your racket up on the fence post because you were next in line to play in that court when their time was done. That hasn't happened in a lot of years. Right. No, exactly. It's happening now. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. I'd like to welcome our first sponsor here at BeyondTheBaselines.com podcast, and that's Play by Court, PlayByCourt.com. Choosing the right technology partner is not an easy task. However, staying with the same outdated provider can be a costly decision. And with today's fast-changing environment, well, you need a partner that will help you adapt to the ever-growing needs of your members. At Play by Court, well, they provide the best technology solution customized for your club. With their app, 
Your members can easily manage their profile. They, they can book courts, programs, lessons. They can pay. I asked Andre, show me the payment solutions. It's fantastic. And your members can communicate directly with members and you, the staff. So please go have a look at playbycourt.com and see what really matters most to your members. Your club, your rules, your software. Playbycourt.com. It's interesting, too. The other side of this business, I've been talking to a few uh, providers, um, is court reservations. A lot of courts, as you said, you know, public courts didn't have a reservation system. They would put your racket or, you know, at golf clubs, you'd put your ball in a in a holder and, you know, you'd mark it so that you knew it was your ball. And you'd, when your ball came down to the bottom, you were next on the first tee. Yep. Now, a lot of golf clubs that have never had tee times instituted tee times. And now they're realizing in terms of management, how helpful that is. They can man up, woman up, staff up for the, the tee times that they know are arriving. They're not going to be surprised by a wave of members showing up in an afternoon. And the same thing is happening on tennis. Tennis, a lot of clubs have gone over to reservation only for courts. I'm sure you've seen that trend as well. I have. And just to, as a sidelight, I've seen it at the pool. Really? We, we, yes. Uh, that first time ever was last summer. Uh, we had to regulate number of people on the pool deck. So you had yep. to have a reservation system. So we installed reservation systems at about a dozen clubs to get a time at the pool. And we are going to continue that on the heavy traffic times this year, like on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, right. Pool. And again, it, it changes the business model. It does. It does. I, I, you know, I hadn't thought of that. We are limiting people here in Florida at club gyms. So you have a limit of six or 10 people. So people have to reserve their times to get into the gym for open weightlifting, open, you know, cardio equipment. They, they have to reserve those in advance. So it does change the business model. You can't have as many people not selling as much merchandise, maybe. Yeah, it, obviously the traffic per hour is different. Uh, and I believe that'll change, obviously, as we come out of this pandemic. And it, just like the, you know, today is opening baseball day in the country. Right. And I just heard this morning that Coors Field in Denver had a 42% occupancy rating, which, you know, they figure out using whatever stats they do for COVID, figure out what you can put in your stadium. But, you know, again, that's going to get bigger. Club usage will get increased over time, hopefully, when this starts to go away more. And uh, we'll be back to normal. Now, what I do here is from the large fitness-oriented clubs in the country that that 70% of their revenue is from membership dues, that the fitness portion of the large clubs is still has not come back. There are probably 50 to 60% of normal dues and you can only run at 50% of normal dues for so long before it starts to hurt. And yep. it, it's uh, you know, tennis is not there. Tennis is probably up to about 90% most places of former people coming back plus new people. So they may be over hundred percent, but not everybody's quite come back yet, but in fitness that hasn't happened yet. People have found other ways to exercise uh, and have liked it. I know myself, I'm a little more of a homebody today than I was a year ago yep. because I've, I've gotten used to being home and I like it. It is different. And um, we're going to see, I, I think fitness is going to change forever. I, I do think that it's going to change forever because I, I think people got the Peloton at home. They've got the mirror at home. They've figured out ways to, you know, save money because the gym membership is a different kettle of fish from a 
country club membership. And it's, as you said, it's even shorter termed in some ways than a country club membership, but even country club memberships who aren't ready to really prepared to pay that initiation. You know, I'm dealing with a club in uh, New Jersey that has actually divided their initiation by four. So they've said, okay, our initiation is $10,000, but because they want to get more people in who are younger families, they're, they're saying you can pay 2,500 a year over four years. That never happened at this club. This is an old line, you know, old line club. And, uh, they're looking at different ways of getting the younger millennials into the club, into the onto the courts, onto the paddle courts, into the pickleball courts, squash courts, what have you. Um, go ahead. Yeah, I think that's the, the that's why I said the membership model is changing, and yep. no, no one really knows what it's going to be. Uh, but you know, the demographics of the new population is changing it because they 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 don't know that model. And they don't really like that model. They want everything instantly. And for instance, I know that we have a ton more drop-in type programs in tennis than we did 10 years ago. Yes. And um, I, 10 years ago, I want everybody to sign up for 32 weeks. I never, never had to worry about it again. <laughs> that was, yeah. that was perfect. And obviously uh, the drop-in model is very different than that, but that's what the people want today. And I understand it. Uh, but it, uh, the scheduling is a little bit more difficult. Season court time at indoor clubs is had been being reduced every year, but it's going to take a real hit now. So now we have to figure out other ways to sell those courts. So it's just changing because of uh, COVID, certainly a part of it, but also the new generation part of it. Have you seen, we have, and I, I've written about this on my, my blog, have you seen an uptick in programmed play, live ball clinics, through through before COVID, but really through COVID. So now that a lot more of the court usage is pro led, you know, with with feeding of uh, the ball into a live ball, you know, situation where there's a pro on more courts than there used to be. Have you seen that across your 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 demographic of clubs? I, I have, and actually, this 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 one blew my mind to take it to an extreme. There are a couple of clubs in the Northeast that don't allow you to take season court time unless you have a pro on it. Uh, that wow. was a yes and the word wow is the right word because i didn't think you'd get away with that but they have and uh, uh i think that the the pro-led um hour of court time is so much better in the long run obviously it's a little more expensive for the people but you hit more balls you have more fun you learn a little bit uh the pro is like a ringmaster making everything happen uh, and it's, it's really uh, the way to go to get more exercise, have more fun, not worry about if everybody shows up on and on and on, he can solve all those problems. And that's, that's what the people want. They want what they want when they want it. And they don't want to worry about it. And I don't blame them. I, I agree. I think th this generation just wants to show up, get an hour, hour and a half in, not have to worry about texting call and getting a fourth if three show up and there's a pro there the pros the fourth and and the drill just happens and it it, it works actually very well for this generation about our industry let me ask you a couple questions about our industry we're going through some changes uspta ptr uh free free dues this year um but let me ask you about 
what do you think is in the future of the USPTA and PTR in, in conjunction now with the USTA? Because the USTA has really put their arms around those two bodies and, and brought them under the USTA fold in a way. What, what do you think the future holds for those bodies? Well, you know, it's um, the first thing is, why do we need two of them? Um, that's the $64,000 question is, do we need two of them? It seems like whatever one does, the other does right afterwards. So we have duplication and everything. I think the whole educational arm of both of them are changing according to their new accreditation and certification, all the stuff they had to go through with the USDA. You know, the two organizations, and obviously I know them well, both of them done a lot of stuff with both of them, are struggling a bit financially because yes, the USDA paid the dues of each, each organization's prospects who did some requirements to get it. And only 40 to 50% of the, of the members did the requirements. And then they only got 80% of what the dues was normal. So that's going to make the coffers of both of them a little lighter for the year. And also uh, they have the new requirements. If you didn't do the requirements, you had to drop your certifi certified membership. I think you could still be a member, but you weren't certified anymore. And with the new educational requirements, it's going to take longer to become a member. So in general, both organizations, and these are going to be rough numbers, uh, took in about a thousand uh, new members a year and lost about the same. So they broke even. It's going to be really difficult in 2021 and probably 22 to take in those thousand new members again because of the lengthy uh, requirements to become certified and all the hours it takes. You're not going to do it in a weekend or a week. So that's going to hurt them a bit. We shall see. I, I, I'm still uh, intrigued about how many members they may lose. I know they extended uh, till just net today or tomorrow. You could, you, you, you could have your membership suspended. So they're still suspending people. They don't want to lose you as a certified pro, obviously, yep. because they know as well as, as you do that if, if you get up and walk out and want to come back, it's going to take you a good year to come back. Um, so they're, they're, they're extending, you know, those certified pros to keep trying to get, keep, get them into the fold. Um, but we'll see what happens. And what about the USDA? Where do you think the USDA is these days on, on, on our industry teaching, you know, the teaching side of the industry? Well, the USDA is a big organization that does everything fairly slowly. And they have lots of good ideas and their implementation of things leads a little bit to be desired, if you know what I mean by that. And right. so they have lots of good ideas. They have lots of good people. Uh, obviously, as you know, they've taken a big change in personnel in the last two years. They have obviously lost the revenue from last year's U.S. Open. And I believe a lot will depend on what happens this year with the Open. And hopefully they get most of their revenue back. Uh, but they're trying hard. They want to grow the game. Uh, they know that they have probably failed to grow the game in the last 10 years. And they better start doing some things differently. We are all lucky that tennis grew 22% last year. And I don't think we created that. I think the pandemic created that. Hopefully we'll get to keep those people. But, you know, I, I talk to them all the time uh, about how to grow the game, how they should do it. Things like cardio tennis, I don't know where that is with them. It, it was taken over by the USD, as you know, I think a, a little over a year ago. And I haven't heard a peep about it. Not a peep. And I thought that was the best avenue for a fitness person to come into tennis because you didn't have to be able to play tennis to do 
proper cardio tennis, which means with heart rate monitors, the whole bit with the proper ball, because you don't have to play tennis if you do that. If you run yellow ball and music, you got to be able to play tennis to do it. And I'm yep. a firm believer in that you want to do it with heart rate monitors. And in fact, I found that fitness instructors, if you can teach them to feed, are better people to run cardio tennis class and tennis pro. <laughs> That's a great statement. I, I have to say our cardio tennis program is, is by far the, the, the most weightlisted program in our, our clubs. Um, we do it with the green dots, some, depending on the surface, sometimes the orange ball. Um, yep. And, and we do it, uh, it, it. We sometimes we have TRX uh, out on the courts as well. So you can have pre COVID, we would have, you know, 12 people on a court, six on the TRXs with a trainer and six, six on the court with a, with a pro and, and swapping back and forth, great ratios and, um, and a great workout for an hour. Uh, we've added to that. We've added uh, a Wednesday morning game day. So it's all live ball feed, competitive drills with green dots because the points last longer and people get a better workout. And uh, we've also added uh, some social sides of it. The Thursday nights, uh, you know, uh, cardio and beer, you, what you, what you take off the court, you put right back on on the deck um, kind of thing like that. We have a lot of fun with it. And it, it is really our, our popular, popular uh, medium on the court. And one of the things that I've done with the, that program is, I think it's uh, Vic Braden was one of my mentors and he had a program back in the seventies and I still use it today that I think would help everybody is, is if you bring, let, let's say you charge 20 bucks for your cardio class, whatever the number is, doesn't make any difference. But let's right. say uh, if I have a program that if you bring a first time cardio person to that class, it's free for both you and that person. Yep. And that to me is one of the best ways to promote anything because both people come free. So you can play in that class for free. If you bring me a new person every week and that's a great promotion. And I love it because I get X number of free people a week to try the class. And I believe we are try and buy sport, which you try it. We hold your hand while you're there and then you'll buy it in the future because you like it so much. And so I think that works perfectly in today's world is bring a friend with you to class and it's free for both of you. And if you can continue to do that, I get lots of new people in my classes. That's fantastic. What, you know, uh, those kinds of marketing ideas, just, you know, just like you say, cash flow tennis, how do you build your program? How do you raise the revenue streams? How do you get more cash to your pros and to your club? Um, that's a perfect, perfect uh, methodology. What do you think about, um, trying packages of lessons in these days you know where it used to be and it could be i still think a viable way but you go you know take 10 lessons now or book book and purchase 10 lessons and you get two free you see a lot of that in the industry right now or is it more one by one it's commitment rather than discount to me and today people want it so what i've had them do is they commit to it uh, they don't get a discount. They're lucky to get their six to seven o'clock time. And if right. you want that time every week, Mr. Lesson Taker, you'll commit to it um, with an agreement, basically, that I'm going to take a lesson every week. Uh, but I don't not giving as many discounts because I don't need to right now. Uh, they right. just want the time. So um, I don't feel the need to just because you want to pay me up front for 10 lessons to give you 12 for that. Uh, I, I want you to take the 10 lessons, pay full price and be happy you get it. 
I'm I'm on the same page. I always war- wonder and worry because you know it's it's me making that income, but actually my costs and I'm sure your costs have gone up. We've added pros. You know, if I had a pro, it's more housing. So the costs have gone up to to encompass all this extra play. So you're right. Discounting probably is not probably the way forward. And uh, I love that you say you're lucky to get even court time right now. Well, that's true. And, and the other thing is very interesting right now is I know you. I have found there's a lack of pros. And so pro compensation is increasing. And because to get the pro, you have to offer more money. It's, it's the basic law of supply and demand. And I don't have a club that I work with that doesn't want to hire pros right now. Not one. And that market is so needed right now. Uh, female pros would be even nicer. But that's even harder. Yep. Um, but but uh, it's huge right now. And so it's a very pro market right now as far as you know what people make. And uh, uh, the country club world uh, that you're in a little bit is uh, mm-hmm. really starting to pay a lot more for directors in tennis. The, the prices is, 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 is just mm-hmm. going up. So if you yes, got a good one, it's hard to keep a good one. There's lots of offers out there right now all over the country. So getting a good pro right now is a real priority. A lot of clubs, it's not easy. No, it isn't. And and you, you make a point about female pros. They can actually almost name their price right now because they're only 22, 23% of the workforce and every club wants a female pro and they just can't. You just can't get a female pro at every club. It's just not enough female pros out there. Yep. And uh, so it's 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 changing the compensation world, too, as a subset to the COVID, which is interesting. It is. What do you think is going to be the biggest change after COVID, Doug? What do you think is going to be, you know, when we look back in 10 years uh, to this year, which will probably be the first year kind of and the next year will definitely be out of COVID. In 10 years hence, when we look back, what do you think is going to be the biggest change? Well, the biggest thing that I have seen that I'm trying to change personally is uh, number one, I believe our product is too low priced. And, and the reason I say that is because a starting truck driver for Walmart makes 82,000 plus benefits year one. Very few first year pros make 82,000 plus benefits in our industry, at least I, I don't see that. Okay. Nope. And I believe that uh, I have created a compensation package, and I actually used about that number of how to meet all the Label, labor requirements, how to give somebody a guarantee, how to pay their benefits, uh, and how to have them a 40-hour work week. Uh, because again, that this generation is changing. How many hours do you even want to work? They don't want to work as many hours as us old guys back then. And I, I think that we have to change our compensation systems. But at the same time, we have to change our pricing because we can't afford to pay more than the price of the re- lesson, obviously. And so right. I and I believe one of the biggest hindrance of, uh, and this will ra- ruffle some feathers, I'm sure, one of the big things about the way pros are paid, if you pay a pro percentage, and that's a very common thing to do, uh, the owner, whoever makes the decision on pricing, um, has a tendency not to raise the price of the lesson they'd rather write maybe the price of the dues because they get a hundred percent of the dues increase and they get 10 to 20 percent of the program increase because the pro gets a raise every time you raise prices 
Right. So in the past, they have not raised prices of programming as much as they would have if there wasn't an increase in pay every single time for the pro at the same time guaranteed. That doesn't mean the pro shouldn't get more money. It just means now if you're a percentage, you get 60 or 70 percent. If they raise the price, you get whatever that is, unless you drop the guy's percentage, and that usually doesn't go over too well. And so not raising prices over the last 30 years. Uh, and to give you an example, I charged, and it wasn't me personally, but where I worked, 1974, I charged $20 for a private lesson. Okay. So that seems pretty cheap, but I think I made eight or 10 of that, something like that. All right. Mm -hmm. And today, if you just CPI that, the price of that lesson would be $139. And that's with no increases other than cost of living increase. And I'd be making, you know, uh, if it was $139, I'd be making 70 bucks an hour, something like that in that world with the same percentage. And if I was making $70 an hour as a staff entering pro today, you could hire a lot of people at 70 bucks an hour. Yes, you could. And so what has happened over the years, the price of the lesson, that lesson may now be 75, 85, maybe 95. Obviously, there's people a lot higher than that at certain places, but you know, the average lesson is probably about 85, 90 bucks. And obviously, you can only pay a certain percentage of that. And so therefore the pro can only make a certain amount of money. So that pricing increase over the years has not happened because of the way we paid the pros, because they got it all basically. And so you raise dues or something else because you got that. So we have to raise prices. And that's a tough thing to talk about sometimes to be able to pay the pros enough or do a bigger allocation of dues to the tennis department, which almost nobody really does, but somehow we have to get more people in the industry. Part of that is our compensation systems are too low. I agree with the allocations that we have to look carefully. The GMs have to look carefully at allocations of membership dues and initiation fees for cap expenses. That has always been an issue because golf always has brought in more revenue. But that yep. is because golf lessons have gone up with the cost of living. Tennis lessons have not. You're exactly right if you look at the history. The other thing I, I remember somebody saying to me, though, is uh, it, was a, it was one of my mentors in the business. Every time there's a percentage withheld by the club for a lesson, for on-court revenue, whenever you raise the lesson, the house always wins. No matter how you cut the dice, the house being the country club, the clubhouse, it always wins. And he's, he was right, because as you just, you just discussed, the, 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 the teaching pro doesn't go up that much. It, it, when, that first, when that initial percentage comes off, it, it, the house always wins. And so our compensation programming has to change. It is changing. I see it changing in many places, but it's still, as you're saying, industry-wide, it's probably a little, well, too far behind, especially golf and probably fitness, too. And, you know, it, again, to attract people, one of the things a career path and a, a financial career path needs to be done. Can a person be who's 20 years in the industry that just wants to teach and not be a director for a moment? What kind of money can they make is enough to make a family live on it? And so that's why I did a plan that tried to incorporate all that as forget being a director, just being a staff teaching pro, which is just a fine thing to do. Uh, over years, can it really keep up and can you make enough money to live on over time? And the answer right now is no. And it's got to be yes if we want to get those people into this career. Well said, Doug. Doug, would you let our listeners know how they can reach you, where, where they can find you? Sure. Uh, my website is uh, cashflowtennis.com. Uh, my email is dougcash at 
cashflowtennis.com. And my phone number is 312-927-2274. Doug, it's been great having you on the podcast. Thanks so much for your time and, and your thoughts and your wisdom and your wit. And uh, maybe we should make this like a yearly thing and see how the industry is doing a year from now. I'd love to do that. Let's, uh, let's put it in our tickler files and most of the young people won't know what that means, but that's my <laughs> And we'll go from there. Great. Well, thanks so much for being on and uh, have a great time there in Hilton Head. Enjoy the uh, the warm weather and, and get on those courts if you can. All right. Thanks, Ed. Thank you, Doug. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening this week. We really appreciate it. I just want to let everyone know that our introductory music is by Ed Shanifee Sr. and his amazing trio. And All the Chapter Breaks is original music by my daughter, Olivia Shanafi. We hope to hear more from them as we continue this podcast through 2021. And we hope to see more of you as well. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to BeyondTheBaselines.com podcast. It's a pleasure bringing you each week's news and views and great guests from our tennis, fitness, and country club industries. You can always reach the team here at BeyondTheBaselines at gmail.com or on the phone at 508-538-1288. Please do visit our website at www.BeyondTheBaselines.com which is updated regularly with even more information for you, your club, or your facility. See you again soon.